Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
we see a lot of different sides of Jesus across the Gospels. There's parable telling Jesus, miracle working water walking Jesus, there's healing Jesus, kind, loving Jesus, I think we all like very much. There's, I haven't come to bring peace, but division Jesus, who's always pretty scary. But today we have lawyer Jesus, who tells us not one bit of the law will pass away. And he says, you have heard it said, X, but I say to you, Y. Don't murder becomes don't even let conflict or anger fester. Don't commit adultery becomes don't even look at a woman with lust. Don't divorce your wife without a bill of divorce becomes marrying a person divorced from a lawful marriage is adultery. Whatever the case is, it looks like things are about to get a lot harder. And all of this, when interpreted poorly, I would say, would seem to make you think that Jesus came to make our lives more complicated by introducing more laws and more rules and more stringent rules at that. If that's the case, then I think this life would become some super stringent spiritual obstacle course that we have to run to get to heaven. One where we have things that we have to do and things that we can't do and just some other boxes to check along the way. And I think that would lead us to some very transactional relationship with God. But honestly, if that's the price of getting to heaven and not going to hell, you can sign me up for that. I'm taking that deal all day long. It's kind of this vision of discipleship as fire insurance. But when I reflect on this attitude or this relationship, this approach to discipleship, a very funny and silly image comes to mind that I think reveals how far short this image falls. Have you ever seen one of those really top-notch, elite-level national dog shows? The ones on TV? They're always on blue carpet for some reason. I don't know why, but there's all the, you have all the dogs gathered together. They have every type of breed you can imagine. They're all impeccably groomed. There's, they've been combed and brushed and blow-dried. They have these like flowing locks of fur. They have their, their handlers have these like leashes, these straps that they keep under their heads to keep them in this perfectly upright, unnatural, but perfect posture. Just hold that for 85, 90, 95 years, and you'll get to heaven. That's all it takes. Our lives of discipleship are not the Yukonuba best in show competition. God is not an obstacle course maker. Our lives are not this test of worthiness in that manner. It sounds like it would be. We hear Jesus say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus, in his teachings today, is not laying down a law for us to take up like a yoke or a collar. Jesus is throwing us a line so he can pull us out. 
Jesus is trying to form our hearts after his own because that is what a true relationship with him entails. It's not just about putting on a good show and getting treats. It's about becoming the person that Jesus is calling us to be. And who is that person? Certainly it is an upright, morally virtuous person that follows God's law. You're not going to hear any arguments from me to the contrary. But I think there is more to it. I think that God wants us, all of us, to be his co-workers. I think he's training us not to compete in some spiritual agility competition, but to participate in his life, even to the point of participating in his plan of salvation for the world. Because at the end of the day, I think we are all have a little bit more capability than those dogs we see on TV in following orders. You know, I think one question that every seminarian, everyone preparing for the priesthood is asking, I hope, is kind of, why has God chosen me for this path? This is, a, this is a plan that I have asked myself a number of times. And I don't think I'm ever going to have a full answer to that question, to be honest with you. But what I have figured out is that God, in his mysterious love and mercy, has chosen a plan for me to be involved with him that works not just for my own salvation, but for the salvation of the entire world, the salvation of others. But I wonder, does that call to be involved in and working for the salvation of the world end at the feet of ordained ministers? You know, the church is not exactly flush with vocations these days. Many people point to a drop-off in vocations, which based on the numbers, seem to begin around the time of the Second Vatican Council. But maybe we shouldn't be surprised that we have fewer vocations to the priesthood or to the diaconate or to the religious life in the wake of the council, which gave us the highest and most developed theology of the lay faithful that we have ever had as a church. We view our vocation crisis as a tragedy, and I'll admit it's not something that helps me sleep better at night. Having fewer priests and nuns per Catholic is hard to read as a reassuring sign for the church that things are going great. But maybe, maybe God, the same God who calls priests and nuns and consecrated religious, is clearing space not for just ordained and consecrated ministers to work into the vineyard and the harvest, but for others to participate with their whole lives in working for the salvation of the world. Maybe you have a role in that as well. Maybe your prayers have an effect. Maybe your good example and your charity, your evangelical witness, maybe they make a a difference in the lives of other people. And maybe there are other people who are or can be inspired by how you live your life. And maybe your reach into the broken world in which we inhabit goes farther than just the walls of a parish church or school or the occasional hospital room to which a priest is from time to time summoned. Maybe your spiritual life and your life of discipleship have as much to do with other people as they do with you. 
it is true, I think. Jesus calls us to lofty things, and he sets very high standards. And reaching those things is a struggle, I would say, even with the assistance of grace. But I believe that the heights to which God calls us morally are only in line with the dignity that God has bestowed upon us.